the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. City WLCC Brandon. Faith Talk Tampa. Download the Faith Talk Tampa app or listen on TuneIn and Odyssey. The following is sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries and is pre recorded. This persecution was of such a violent nature that involved seeking out believers to put them to death. It was with the intent of trying to exterminate all Christians with the thought of eradicating Christianity from the face of the earth. And the ringleader behind this attempt to wipe out Christians and to destroy Christianity, the ringleader was a man that Luke has already introduced us to prior to this. He introduced us to him in connection with the death of Stephen. It was a young man by the name of Saul who came from a place called Tarsus. We read in Acts 7.58, when they had driven him, that Stephen, out of the city, they began stoning him, and the witnesses laid aside their robes at the feet of a young man named Saul. It was about to begin in earnest for the early church. There was a young man named Saul who was about to become the ringleader in trying to stomp out Christianity. Welcome to Verse by Verse, where we are coming to the end of the series titled Stephen's Defense Before the Sanhedrin. We have two more sessions, and today Saul will be front and center. Saul genuinely believed that he was serving God when he was persecuting the Christians. It was Saul's sincere ignorance that made him very different from most of the religious leaders of that day. That was very much in contrast to the others in the Sanhedrin. However, I don't want to steal any of Pastor Steve's thunder, so let's get ready for today's verse-by-verse broadcast. Someone has said that following the church through Acts is like following a wounded deer through a forest. Drops of blood mark the trail. How true. This morning we're going to see those initial drops of blood because our study today brings us to a new chapter, Acts chapter 8, and it tells us about the first violent persecution that broke out against the church. It comes right after the murder of Stephen. Here's what we read, Acts chapter 8, first eight verses, Luke writes these words. Saul was in hearty agreement with putting him, that Stephen, to death. And on that day, a great persecution began against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Some devout men buried Stephen and made loud lamentation over him. But Saul began ravaging the church, entering house after house, and dragging off men and women. He would put them in prison. Therefore, those who had been scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and began proclaiming Christ to them. The crowds with one accord were giving attention to what was said by Philip as they heard and saw the signs which he was performing. For in the case of many who had unclean spirits, they were coming out of them shouting, 
with a loud voice, and many who had been paralyzed and lame were healed. So there was much rejoicing in that city. Now, these words by Luke tell us that immediately following the trial and then the murder of Stephen, one of the key leaders of the Jerusalem church, persecution broke out against the entire church. As you might recall prior to this, there had been some persecution, but that persecution had been very brief. It had been limited because it was really directed against the apostles with the Sanhedrin flogging the apostles for refusing to be silent about Jesus. And that persecution had been driven by jealousy, envy on the part of the Sanhedrin because the apostles' popularity was rising with the people of Jerusalem and the Sanhedrin. The religious leaders of Israel felt very threatened. And so we read, going back to Acts 5, 17 and 18, but the high priest stood up along with all his associates, that is the sect of the Sadducees, and they were filled with jealousy. They laid hands on the apostles and put them in a public jail. See, according to Acts 5.13, the general population of Jerusalem, they were not antagonistic towards the apostles like the members of the Sanhedrin were because we read in that verse, Acts 5.13, the people held them, them being the apostles, in high esteem. In other words, the people respected them. Even though all of them didn't join themselves to this new religious movement, at least they thought highly of the 12 apostles. However, all of that changed with the death of Stephen because Luke tells us in the first verse of chapter 8, And on that day, what day is he talking about? He means the day that Stephen was killed. On that day, persecution broke out against the entire church. And notice, not just persecution, but great persecution began against the church in Jerusalem. In other words, this persecution was different from the previous one against the apostles. This persecution was greater, it was more intense, it was more widespread, because it was against the entire church. It was not limited to the apostles. And as we'll see, this persecution was of such a violent nature that involved seeking out believers to put them to death. It was with the intent of trying to exterminate all Christians with the thought of eradicating Christianity from the face of the earth. And the ringleader behind this attempt to wipe out Christians and to destroy Christianity, the ringleader was a man that Luke has already introduced us to prior to this. He introduced us to him in connection with the death of Stephen. It was a young man by the name of Saul who came from a place called Tarsus. We read in Acts 7.58, when they had driven him, that Stephen, out of the city, they began stoning him, and the witnesses laid aside their robes at the feet of a young man named Saul. And now we read here in chapter 8, verse 1, Saul was in hearty agreement with putting him to death, which would seem to indicate that this man Saul was the driving force, he was the inciter, he was the instigator behind the opposition to Stephen and his subsequent death, which makes perfect sense. And I'll tell you why. It makes sense when you look back at Acts chapter 6, verses 9 through 12, we read this. But some men from what was called the synagogue of the freedmen, including both Cyrenians and Alexandrians, and some from, note this, Cilicia and Asia, rose up and argued with Stephen, but they were unable to cope 
with the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. Then they secretly induced men to say, we have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. And they stirred up the people, the elders and the scribes, and they came up to him and dragged him away and brought him before the council. Now, I want you to notice that among those of this synagogue, called Synagogue of the Freed Men, who argued and debated with Stephen about Jesus being the Messiah, amongst those men were men from the city of Cilicia. That's what Luke tells us, from Cilicia. Well, that's where Saul of Tarsus was from, as he will later reveal in Acts chapter 22, verse 3. He was from that region in Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey, known as Cilicia. And so it's very likely that Saul was one of the men who disputed with Stephen and experienced great frustration. Why? Because he was out-debated by Stephen to the point that his frustration must have boiled over to such intense anger and hatred that it resulted in killing Stephen. And like an animal who's tasted blood for the first time, Saul thirsted for more blood so that he went after every Christian that he could find, throwing them in prison with the objective, the goal, of having them put to death for blasphemy and for being heretics. We read in verse 3 of Acts 8, But Saul began ravaging the church, entering house after house, and dragging off men and women. He would put them in prison. So Luke tells us that after Stephen was murdered, Saul went on a rampage against the church. So determined was he to destroy the church that the word that Luke uses to describe Saul's action is ravaging, which was a word used, folks, in non-biblical Greek literature to describe someone being mangled by a wild beast. In other words, so brutal was Saul that he was like a wild animal, ferociously tearing at the bodies of his victims. And note that his victims, who they were, they were the rank and file members of the congregation of the Jerusalem church. They were not just those men who held leadership positions in the church. Notice who Luke tells us Saul targeted in the church. It says, entering house after house, dragging off, notice, men and women, And women, he would put them in prison. So obsessed was Saul with this seething hatred towards Christians that he went after everyone. And as I said, his ultimate goal was to have them all put to death so that the church would be decimated to the point of extinction. Years later, in giving his testimony, his personal testimony to a man by the name of King Agrippa in Acts chapter 26, Saul, then later known as Paul, explained how hostile and how cold-blooded he had been towards Christ and his followers prior to his conversion. Here's what Paul said to Agrippa in Acts 26, 9 and 10. So then I thought to myself that I had to do many things hostile to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And this is just what I did in Jerusalem. Not only did I lock up many of the saints in prisons, having received authority from the chief priests, but also when they were being put to death, I cast my vote against them. Paul said, thumbs down, they die. So, who was Saul of Tarsus? And why was he so fixated on trying to kill all the Christians that he could find? Well, All that we know with any certainty, there's a lot of speculation, but all that we know with any certainty about Saul comes from the pages of the New Testament. Because as I said, he's the man who would later become the great apostle Paul. And so he gives us biographical material about himself 
in the New Testament. According to Galatians 1, 13 and 14, prior to his conversion, Paul, or Saul then, was a young, zealous Jewish man. He was a rising star among his religious peers in the circle of traditional Judaism, the traditional Judaism of his day. In fact, he was so zealous for the beliefs and the traditions of the Judaism of his day that he advanced beyond many of his contemporaries in pursuing those beliefs and those traditions. Here's what he said in Galatians 1, 13 and 14. For you have heard of my former manner of life in Judaism, how I used to persecute the church of God beyond measure and try to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries among my countrymen, being more extremely zealous for my ancestral traditions. And it was because of his fanatic zeal for Judaism that he persecuted the church of God. Why? Because he saw Jewish Christians as heretics and blasphemers and deniers of the traditions of Judaism that he held so sacred. And therefore, what motivated Saul to kill Christians was his belief that he was actually defending the honor of the one true God, the God of Israel. Now, Jesus had predicted that this kind of religious zeal, which seeks to murder believers in the name of God, would become a reality for his Jewish followers. Jesus had said in John 16, verse 2, they'll make you outcast from the synagogue, but an hour is coming for everyone who kills you to think that he's offering service to God. And now, led by Saul of Tarsus, our Lord's prediction became a terrifying reality to those people. See, in persecuting Christians, Saul, and listen closely, Saul genuinely believed that he was serving God. And that is significant. I'll tell you why. Because it was Saul's sincere ignorance that made him very different from most of the fellow members in the Sanhedrin. See, most of those men... They knew in their heart of hearts who Jesus was. They knew that Jesus of Nazareth was the Messiah. They had seen and heard all the compelling evidence for him being the Christ. They saw Christ's miracles. They heard his teaching. They observed the way he lived. And they certainly knew of the biblical prophecies concerning his birth, his life, his ministry. They were not unaware of these things. This is the unpardonable sin that most of these men were guilty of, meaning that they knew the truth about Christ and they deliberately said no to the truth. In spite of all of this overwhelming evidence, they continually hardened their hearts to Christ and refuse to humble themselves before him, repent of their sins and submit their lives to him as Lord and Messiah. They knew the truth. They said no to the truth. But listen, Saul of Tarsus was not like that. He truly believed that Jesus was a messianic fraud so that his unbelief was really based on ignorance rather than a stubborn rejection of what he knew to be true. And we know this was the case. We're not speculating here. We know it was the case because Saul tells us it was the case in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 12 and 13. He said, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has strengthened me because he considered me faithful, putting me into his service, even though, watch this, I was formerly a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent aggressor, yet I was shown mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief. He admits that prior to his conversion, although he blasphemed Christ and he violently persecuted the church, he acted this way, he says, because his unbelief was based on ignorance. He was different than the other men. 
The other men knew the truth about Jesus, and they chose to disregard it. Paul did not understand and know the truth about Jesus. He genuinely thought he was right. But regardless of how sincere Saul was, Luke tells us at the beginning of Acts 8 that he was like a crazed, frenzied, out-of-control, ferocious animal. He was looking to tear apart any Christian he could find. Now, try to put yourself in the place of these early Christians who were the target of this man's wrath. Try to think like them. Can you imagine how these believers must have felt at the time of Stephen's death? Remember, prior to this, the church had been experiencing phenomenal growth with many residents of Jerusalem coming to faith in Jesus. And even those individuals who didn't accept Jesus as the Messiah still held the believers, especially the apostles, in high regard. But all that changed with the death of Stephen. And it must have been a time of great confusion for these Christians as they surely would have wondered what was going on. Why God would allow such a great man like Stephen to die so young and why his death would be the spark to unleash such hostility against them. It really had to be a very perplexing, puzzling time for these believers who I remind you, all of them were relatively new Christians. There were no seasoned veterans with this group. Here's the way one Bible teacher explained what must have been going through the minds of the members of the church. He said, at first glance, Stephen's death may have seemed pointless, Here was a promising career cut short. He was a powerful, miraculous preacher with a deep knowledge of the Old Testament. Such was the godly character of his life that he was one of the seven chosen by the church to oversee its daily affairs. Why was it necessary that one so gifted have such a brief ministry? Further, his ministry seemed to have ended in failure. Not only was he killed as a heretic, but his death also triggered the first persecution against the church. But listen, contrary to how bad things looked for the new church and these new Christians, Stephen's death was actually a very positive part of God's sovereign plan that would result in the Lord being glorified because it was the catalyst for the gospel message to expand beyond the borders of the city of Jerusalem. You see, instead of being a negative Stephen's death resulted in some very positive things for the advancement of Christ's kingdom. And it's these positive kingdom advances that Luke tells us about in this opening section in Acts chapter 8. Therefore, what we have before us today is a very encouraging lesson in God using adversity in the lives of his people for good. It's really a living illustration of what Paul will years later write in Romans 8.28. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. So as we go through these verses, what you want to keep in mind is that God often uses the most adverse circumstances and difficulties in life for the furtherance of the gospel. So don't fret and don't worry when things happen that appear to be negative and bad. Remember, our God is still on his throne, controlling all the events of life and bringing good out of evil. Now, here's how Luke presents the positive things that came out of Stephen's death. First, he tells us that Stephen's death resulted in persecution that forced the believers out of the city of Jerusalem. Second, he tells us that Stephen's death resulted in these dispersed believers sharing the gospel wherever they went. And third, he tells us that Stephen's death opened the door for Samaritans to receive Christ as their Savior. 
So as Luke proceeds to tell us about the aftermath of Stephen's death, he starts off by telling us that the first positive thing that came as a result of this great man's death is that persecution came that forced the believers out of the city of Jerusalem. Verses 1 through 3. Saul was in hearty agreement with putting him to death. And on that day, a great persecution began against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Some devout men buried Stephen and made loud lamentation over him. But Saul began ravaging the church, entering house after house, and dragging off men and women. He would put them in prison. Now, as Luke begins to tell us what happened immediately following Stephen's death, he informs us that Saul approved of putting Stephen to death. And on that very day, the day that he died, persecution broke out against the church and was led by Saul. And as a result of this sudden outburst of persecution, Luke says that all of the members, the whole congregation, all of them, except the 12 apostles, they were scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. Now, why the apostles stayed in Jerusalem rather than leave the city like the other members of the church, we aren't told. Luke doesn't tell us. It's possible that the apostles, being faithful shepherds, just decided to stay put, and God protected them from any harm. That's very possible. Or it may very well be that the people of Jerusalem held the apostles in high esteem, as we said. It's possible that because they still held them in high esteem, the authorities were afraid to touch them, afraid to go after them. And that suggestion, folks, actually fits quite well with what we read in verse 2, that some devout men buried Stephen and made loud lamentation over him. See, it would appear that these devout men were unsaved, pious Jewish men who were opposed to Stephen's death at the hands of the Sanhedrin. And they loudly protested his death by burying Stephen and loudly mourning for him. So this would seem to indicate that not everyone in the city of Jerusalem was sympathetic to the Sanhedrin and had turned against the Christians and were out to harm them. There were still some people there who were not opposed to Christianity and certainly not opposed to the apostles. Therefore, it makes sense that the apostles may have felt the freedom to stay and minister to those who were not antagonistic against them and still held them in high esteem. But although the apostles stayed in the city, all the other members of the church, which, as you recall, by this time, that number is in the thousands, all of them started to leave Jerusalem running for their lives. Because we read in verse 3 that Saul began ravaging the church, entering house after house and dragging off men and women, he would put them in prison. As I've said, like a frenzied animal looking for its prey, Saul went house to house throughout the city searching for Christians. And when he would find them, whether they were men or women, he dragged them out of their homes, violently took them and then threw them in prison. Now listen closely. Although Luke tells us about a number of issues related to Stephen's death and Saul's horrible persecution against the church, there is one very positive thing to come out of this, which is that the congregants of the church were forced to flee from the city of Jerusalem. And I say that this is positive because Jesus had told them back in Acts 1-8 before he ascended to the Father, he had told them that the gospel was not to stay in Jerusalem. It was to spread to Judea, then to Samaria, and finally to the outermost parts of the earth. 
But that couldn't happen as long as these Christians who had the gospel remained in the city of Jerusalem. So God made it happen. He forced this to happen, and he did it by bringing about persecution that pushed these Christians to leave their comfortable settings and to scatter into the regions of Judea and Samaria, those areas in Israel outside of the city of Jerusalem. Today, that area is known as the West Bank. In the Bible, it's known as Judea and Samaria. Folks, it's an important truth, an important principle for us to think about and to learn. See, there are times in our lives when some very tough things may happen to us so that we find ourselves out of our secure comfort zones. Maybe we find ourselves in a new job. Maybe we find ourselves in a new and unfamiliar school. Maybe we find ourselves in a new city, a new community, a new neighborhood. And though we may feel very insecure about our new surroundings, it may very well be that God has orchestrated all of this to place you in those new surroundings so that you would be a witness to somebody. Did you catch the part in today's program where Pastor Steve explained the good things that came from Stephen's death? We don't always think of good things coming from death, but God has a history of making beauty from ashes. Here are the three things Pastor Steve mentioned. First, Stephen's death resulted in persecution that forced the believers out of the city of Jerusalem. Second, these dispersed believers shared the gospel wherever they went. Third, the door was opened for Samaritans to receive Christ as their Savior. I guess we could say that while the Sanhedrin was playing checkers, God was playing 4D chess. <laughs> More about that on our next verse-by-verse broadcast. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.